Hello guys, how's it going? Welcome, welcome to this week's NTT20 podcast. We're talking all things EFL, specifically this week, Leagues 1 and 2. We are Ali Maxwell and with me, George Ellick. George, how are you doing? It feels like a bit of a new dawn across the country today. Yeah, it absolutely does because... Just eight games to go for most of the EFL season, so you can feel the anticipation around the country really building um, <laughs> ahead of a bumper weekend of, of EFL action to no midweek games, which is so weird. Wow. I mean, there's like one on Tuesday and one on Wednesday. Typically, um, this evening, I actually could watch the football if I wanted to, and there's just no football to be watched, um, <laughs> which is a bit of a shame on, on the main TV rather than on a, on a laptop or an iPad. Um, what, do, what do people do on Tuesday and Wednesday nights? I've forgotten what you're meant to do. Go to the park and have a beer with your friend. Tempting, isn't it? Or two households or six people in a private garden if you're lucky to have one. (laughs) There you go. Uh, You've always been right across these rules all the last year, I know. (laughs) If I want to know what's happening in the country, George is across it. Um, Look, I was a bit worried about uh, this particular Monday, George, because obviously reduced slate, uh, fewer games to talk about. And then Lee Johnson said this on Saturday. There's a quote that says uh, the sharks worry about Monday. No, they go around being sharks and biting stuff and, and being aggressive. And uh, we showed that, and I think it resonated quite well. Um, so, yeah, we bit a few ankles today, that's for sure. A bit of Lee Johnson sound-biting there. Sharks, they don't worry about Monday. They go around biting people. That's what we're going to do on this podcast today, mm-hmm. George. We're going to talk all things League One, obviously some significant results from the weekend, including Streaky Lee's Sunderland continuing one of the all-time great Lee Johnson streaks. Uh, but we're also going to do a big old chunk of League Two analysis. And thankfully, we're joined by someone who can do it much better than we can, uh, Paul Riley of Different Game Analytics. He, well, he does everything around League Two, all <laughs> sorts of analysis, both data and video analysis. Uh, he's got a Patreon page, which we've been subscribing to all season, some brilliant stuff. He does it in a professional context as well. So we're pretty excited to have a different voice on the League Two coverage and to pick Paul's brains a little later on uh, about the fourth tier, which is unbelievable at the moment. There's only five points separating the top six teams. So we're going to work out who Paul thinks are the ones who will actually make it up at the end of the season. But let's start with League One, uh, with Lee Johnson's words ringing in our ears. We're going to talk about the most potent Sharks of the weekend, Peterborough United, George, 7-0 Winners against Accrington. I always think to myself, during an international break, is the best time for a League One or League Two team to win 7-0 because the eyes of the nation are obviously always on these leagues, but even more so than ever. Uh, Gillette Soccer Saturday, almost entirely dedicated to these two leagues. And so this is a great time to win 7-0. And it was, I mean, honestly, the, the way the game looked, George, and there are reasons for this on both sides, but it looked like a sort of Premier League team against a non-league team in an FA Cup third round game, I thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when the scoreline shows 7-0, it's hard to kind of take away any other um, conclusions. And when you know Johnson Clark Harris's hat-trick was a as easy a hat-trick as you're going to get, that's not to take any um, praise away from him, but all three of them were in the six-yard box, were effectively tap-ins. Uh, even though he probably does deserve some praise for the, some praise and a craze, maybe a Johnson Hart, Johnson Clark Harris craze can can come about sweeping now sweeping the nation. Yeah, um, in the the way that he was so cool and calm for the first, where he just chapped the ball had the, all the time he he needed just to roll the ball into the corner when some would maybe slash at it or or, or, or you know um, not take the time that he did uh, to make sure it went in. They were brilliant. I mean, Joe Ward 
again has hit a real rich vein of form. Um, we saw him do so in the, right at the beginning of the season, maybe it dropped off a little bit, but as a creative force on that right-hand side, he's so lively. He's just a, a lovely footballer, got a brilliant um, strike on him as well. Could cross through the ball, even though that first one, um, I don't think he can really claim to have intended to roll it across the six-yard box as slowly as he did. Uh, and Sammy Smodix, again, another player who's hit form at, at a good time. You know, this, this posh side, when they're at it, we've always said um, are probably the best side in the division uh, when they're on form. And and Accrington came here in a disappointing vein of form and, and weren't able to turn it around here. They really, really threatened. They hit the crossbar when, this, when I think it was 2-0, which could have changed the game a bit. Um, but this was all about Peterborough um, doing Peterborough things and, and given what happened elsewhere in the whole game, um, really putting themselves back in the mix to, to win League One. Such a strong core, don't they, Posh? And they have... I think compared to a lot of teams at the level, being fairly fortunate with injuries this season. I mean, Siriki Dembele didn't even play in this game, and and you yeah. hate, you hate to wonder what might have happened if he had, because although the youngster Burrows, who played left wing, had a good game, got an assist, is showing great quality, great delivery uh, in his cameos at the moment. You know, most of the goals did come through Ward down the right, didn't didn't they? And and yeah, you do wonder if Siriki could have made things even worse. I I would like to apologize for my strong words about Accrington looking like a non-league team and as I say there are there are reasons for it I mean I was in at Quest on Saturday not on screen but uh, sort of helping out behind the scenes and um, with Sam Parkin excellent League One League Two pundit on that show and when we were looking at the teams at two o'clock scanning through the lineups the one that really stood out was when when he saw the Accrington team first and he was like what's going on at Accrington Alley because you know it's it's unrecognizable from the team that put together such a good run of form in the first half of the season to threaten the playoff places. And they're just decimated at the moment through injury. I counted probably six genuine first-team players, possibly seven, uh, missing from this game. They had no focal point at all. They had McConville and Paul Smith playing in the forward areas. No Colby Bishop, no Dion Charles. They're missing Pritchard, who's such a crucial player for them as well. And yeah, I just felt really bad for them because you know even, even Toby Saban in goal, the, the youngster who's, who has impressed this season in flashes, um, but has been kind of stuck a little bit behind Nathan Baxter, the, the Chelsea loney who's so good. But Baxter's now out for the season. Saban has another 10 games or so to, to, to show for himself. Chat that there are Premier League clubs monitoring him, as there always are when there's someone this young um, playing in the EFL. And to concede seven where... I can't think of many that were like horrendous mistakes um, is really, really tough. And I think, you know, he actually made some pretty good saves as well. James Maley, uh, who runs a, a Peterborough Twitter account at Report Posh, said two stories here. One of a rampant Posh side who destroyed a slow back line with width, pace and runners in behind. The other of an injury ravaged Stanley who couldn't build into the game without Charles and Bishop and lost the midfield battle to Reed and Brown. So, yeah, just quicker, stronger, sharper better Peterborough and um, you felt like if they'd played another 15 minutes they could well have racked up another few goals just to pick up on on what you said about Sammy Smodix I think what's notable is and Sam Parkin had the stat on quest 11 goals in his last 17 league games and that's not their primary goal scoring option that's one of the reasons why Peterborough you know that's what they have over a lot of the other teams around them Um, you know Hull have got a few goal scorers but none as prolific either as Clark Harris or Smodix you'd probably say uh, and Sunderland clearly have threats from across the pitch. But again, 
none of them are, are, as prolific consistently or even in spells as uh, as Sammy Smodic. So a big win for Posh. Hull drawing with Gillingham, a, a game that was one all, really tightly contested. Hull missed a sitter at 1-0, should have been 2-0 up really. But that's not to say that it was a smash and grab from Gilles by any means. They they hit the post twice in this game as well. So um, Hull having to make do with, with a second draw in, the, in a row, which means they're still top of the table. But Posh are one point behind with a game in hand and two points behind Posh with two games in hand over Hull and one over Peterborough, Lee Johnson's Sunderland Sharks, um, who won again, <laughs> this time at Bristol Rovers. I wonder what you made of this game, George Alec. They weren't great, were they, really? Um, Sunderland, I mean, Bristol Rovers um, had some opportunities at 0-0. Uh, I find <clears throat> Jonah Ayunga one of the most frustrating players in the EFL at the moment because he has a lot of very good qualities but really struggles to put the ball in the back of the net. Um, it, shows that, shows, his... it shows our differing mentalities because I was going to say I find Ayunga one of the most intriguing, potentially exciting players yeah, so in do the I, EFL. No, I, I, but I totally agree. That's <laughs> why I find him frustrating is because the potential is quite clearly there. I mean, he, he's... This is his first run of of, of consistent minutes um, in the EFL, and he, as we say, he looks like he's got a lot of qualities you'd want from a striker. Um, and you know he's been unlucky at times. There was that ridiculous chip against Charlton where I have absolutely no idea how it stayed out, where it kind of landed on the goal line and span around the post. Um, but again, he was looking pretty lively early on. Sunderland fans will, I think, admit themselves in the first half they. Uh, weren't great they didn't create a great deal but as the game wore on even though they were one of the head um, they started to really kind of implement their their um, superiority and were good value for their win in the end um, with uh, McGeady hitting the woodwork uh, at one point as well um, O'Brien's goal itself was I guess there's there's an element of skill involved to just dangling your leg out and letting the ball roll off your shin and go in because it, it, it looked quite like a deliberate way of, of getting the ball in the back of the net do you think? I think that's generous, but I, I like it. I like it. And I think, you know, O'Brien's one of those players who hasn't necessarily, um, the fans haven't always been enamoured with him. And he's one of those players, I think, who in barren spells for the club, because he's an attacking player that doesn't score a ton of goals, doesn't rack up a ton of assists, but whose main qualities, as far as I can tell, are off the ball, are in work rate, linking plays. It's not to say he's poor technically, but... You know, he's one of those players that becomes quite an easy target when things aren't going well. Um, but I think he does a lot of Charlie White's dirty work for him, um, mm. if you like. And uh, it was good to see him get an, an important winning goal. And yeah, I mean, Jimmy Sunderland fan sent in his Sunday scouting report very much in agreement with you, which is good news. Hasn't always been the case with Sunderland fans and your uh, <laughs> an analysis of their team. Ugly game, sealed with a scrappy goal. We controlled the game well in the second half, but the first was a real arm wrestle. Ayunga bullied our back four, but let himself down with his final ball finishing. So it, it's possible you've got a burner account pretending yeah, to be a Sunderland I fan. Hadn't, I hadn't seen that, so that, that's great. There I mean, it's, it's it's just another clean sheet as well. I find, it, I find the Sunderland defensive record just a really interesting story where... You know, retrospectively, if we go back to the beginning of the season and you're telling me that come come the end of March, Sunderland's back four would be Power right back, McFadden left back, Luca nine and Dion Sanderson is your two centre backs, and it would be the best they've been defensively for a long time. I'd have been flummoxed. So um yeah, I think Lee Johnson deserves a lot of credit for that. And it also makes me laugh as well that when we did our um League One team of the season last season in the in uh, for the athletic we had Luca nine at right back and had somebody getting angry in our mentions telling us how could we have uh, an attacking midfielder at right back 
uh, and refusing to say that he was a defender and now he's playing center back so <laughs> i'd like to know i'd like to know if luca nine is still a 10 that's my my big my big question for i can't remember who it was but if he's listening let us know well he did well in this game he took a big bang on the head late doors it was very luco nine type bravery throwing his body on the line um you know he's he's obviously filling in at center back and they have got a good defensive record he did get rolled too easily by morton uh, the previous weekend of lincoln in conceding that equalizer and clearly iunga gave him a a pretty a pretty tough spell in the first half as well so great to come through with a clean sheet i guess the interesting thing for sunderland at the moment is they have absolutely launched themselves into automatic promotion contention to the point where, you know, in terms of form and in terms of their specifically their form under Lee Johnson and just the way the club seems to be moving, you, you wouldn't bet against them finishing in the top two now, which would have seemed crazy even six weeks ago. And yet Lee Johnson himself doesn't seem convinced that his side are playing that well. And I almost quite like that as well. He's not... It would be easy for him to be getting quite carried away and he's not at all. He said afterwards... You know, I'm really pleased with the the sharkiness. He's pleased with the with the <laughs> effort. He's pleased with what the players are putting in effort wise, but he doesn't seem too convinced by their performances, which I found kind of interesting. And he said he's still quite frustrated about a lot of the parts of their play. So yeah, it's interesting because the the, the performance data doesn't suggest that they are rampant, that they are comfortably the better side in each game. You know, if you look over the last eight games even data wise xg data wise and of course you can miss a bit of context here but you know they're, they're kind of mid-table and and it's mostly good defensive numbers but but not really generating much going forward and i think you know we've seen white scoring a ton of headed goals in fact just a ton of headed goals in general for sunderland and you wonder whether just through sort of variance you know they could they could be in for a few games where unless they create more they, you know, we, we might see a couple of nil-nils or even a couple of narrow defeats. So it might not be one to get fully carried away with just yet. Well, yeah, I, I think always beware the team who are winning every game because teams don't win every game. So like there, there will be a, a bad couple of results incoming by, by the end of the season, I'm, I'm sure of it. Um, but the other interesting thing is, and this won't help um, you know, Sunderland fans' relationship with data, although I think things have changed in the last few years, is that under Parkey, pretty much all season they were top of the xg ratio table um so i think maybe we're just seeing a bit of that variance now possibly where they were you know weren't getting the rub of the green and also there's as you say there's loads and loads of context that goes into this that that doesn't show up necessarily in the data um but it does feel to me like they're a side where so many of their goals basically all of their goals are crosses into the box um so you'd think they probably have to find another way to another way to score but they've only lost five games this season out of 36 like that is ahead of a record yeah absolutely spot on <laughs> another team who are loving life at the moment Pompey uh, what a week it's been since Danny Cowley and his brother Nicky were appointed to to steer them towards the playoffs and who knows where else they went to Shrews George and picked up where they left off right that first half was absolutely magnificent and the two goals they scored you know I, I'm actually trying not to get carried away and not to keep pointing back to what it looked like under jacket and what it looks like now, because you know, ten games in, things can start to slow down a little bit, and you can you can end up looking a little bit silly. But those two goals were very non-jacket ball, and they were pretty exciting, I must say. Yeah, it's something that I I tried to flag when when you know a couple of weeks ago when Danny first came in is maybe don't expect to see the the attritional football that we have in the past now that he's got a team of or a group of players who are probably technically superior to pretty much any other team they're going to play in the league this season and we're starting to see that you know they dominated the ball here even when they're down to ten men 
they kept it very, very well. Um, you know, you look at the passes count, it was, I think, 328 Shrewsbury, 530 Pompey. That is a complete reverse of what we were seeing regularly under Jacket, who was very, you know, they were very direct when they got on the ball. They were happy out of possession to let the other team have it. Um, so I, I think what we're going to see now at Pompey is for anybody who basically wrote off Cowley as being somebody who could only do this with, do this in a certain style and it only worked at Lincoln because they were the underdog and, and they were trying to punch up or whatever. It's it's nonsense, basically. He He's going to be showing now that there that was a means to an end and necessary with the players that he had at his disposal. Um, you know, especially when you think of if your best player and your marksman is someone the size of Matt Reed, then there's one way you're going to play. They've now got a completely different set of players um, and so many flair players. You know, you talk about Harness, who's had a brilliant start under him. Ryan Williams as well. Jacobs um, was brilliant uh, against Shrewsbury. And he's a player who, who's come back into the side who I think is really going to thrive here. Marquis is out for the next three games after his sending off. I thought the sending off was was pretty harsh, to be honest. Um, it was one of those where I guess it could be argued that there was excessive force, but it's just a case of he's lost the ball and it always looks worse. He definitely gets a foot on the ball. It's not two-footed. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those tackles where if he makes that tackle and it's studs into shin, then okay, maybe. But that wasn't really the case here. Um, but they've got... I mean, I know Harrison's been injured, so they've got a bit of a quandary on their on their hands now to work out how they're going to, um, they need someone to play off. Uh, but interestingly to note as well that Marquis, I think, has been tasked with being much more of a of a goal threat rather than a, a hold-up player um, in the last couple of games as well. So they might be able to maybe find some way of making it suit. But yeah, I'm, I'm very, very excited for what we've seen so far. Uh, from Pompey. The two assists coming from the fullbacks is one of those nice, you know, representations of the of the sort of attacking football that they're after as well. Um, both Callum Johnson and, and Lee Brown picking up nice assists uh, from open play, just bombing on and joining the attack. And then that frees up the likes of Harness, who looks like a different player. Uh, you know, Harness at his best, which we've seen uh, certainly earlier on in the season, which we saw last season as well, and which we're seeing now. Uh, it's just a such a beautiful player to watch in the final third in League One. But Ben Close, I think, is a, a bit of a story here as well. Who's you know Pompey Academy graduate. I think Pompey fans are very very fond of him because technically he's so so good. I think Pompey fans as well at times, and plenty of Portsmouth managers have questioned his physicality and whether he's sort of good enough for a a League One midfield grind battle. But Danny Cowley realizes that if they are going to dominate the ball in the way that they want, this is the player that they want dictating play. And it was only his fourth start of the season. He came off the bench against Ipswich and helped change that game uh, and started from the front and was excellent. I think he's one man of the match voted for by the fans the last two games, even though last weekend he only came off the bench. So that's one to watch as well. Just uh, another representation of the kind of transformation over the last few weeks. So really, really positive stuff. Obviously, we've got Easter weekend coming up. So every team will have two games and next week's pod is going to be very, very lively. I wonder if... And, you know, I wonder to what extent we'll be talking about Portsmouth and Cowley in, in glowing terms, because if they can get two more wins, then Jesus, you know, that's going to be a runaway train. For Shrews, you know, they're they're in a tough spot, obviously, with the, the continued recovery of Steve Cottrell. Um, you know, it, it, it was an amazing story, the run that they went on while he was managing them from his hospital bed. And I think now, having moved well away from the, the relegation zone, you can understand why there would be um, you know, they've kind of been 
brought down a little bit back down to earth you, you can't stay at your absolute limit that long i think both emotionally but another either. case of of a team where if you win loads of games in a row you, yeah. you can't just carry on winning loads of games in a row absolutely but i do really <laughs> like the look of, of nathaniel Ogbetter. i talked about him on the betting show as being like him and chapman my main concern when picking portsmouth to win and, and he scored a brilliant goal i mean he's left wing back um, looks really speedy, carries the ball well. He, he ran 50-odd yards, mostly unchallenged, before scoring with his right foot from the edge of the box. Na- naturally left-footed. I think he's a strong one-on-one defender as well. Someone whose final ball, you know, crossing probably needs work. I think he's played a lot of centre-back at youth level, so probably something that he needs to get used to. But showing real flashes of quality, and they've, they've got him. They picked him up permanently in January on a free transfer, so it looks like a really savvy bit of business and something that could do very well for, for Shrews in the long term. George, I've got that erectile dysfunction advert stuck in my head, have done for the last few weeks, because MK Dons played Don, against... Don, 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 Don. <laughs> MK Dons played against... Don, Don, Don. <laughs> MK Dons played against Don Caster and made it four wins in a row. Don, 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 Don. <laughs> Joe, uh, Joe, MK Dons fan. Four on the bounce... Uh, Fraser was subbed after 28 minutes here. Russ wasn't happy with him. That's pretty ballsy, isn't it? Quite yes. strong leadership and management from Russ Martin. A controlled performance and limited Donny to only half chances. Louis Jones in goal for them with five or six great saves to deny the Dons. Josh, McCre- Josh McEachern dictating the tempo. Sermon classy, darling absolutely immense again. Uh, this is pretty good fun at the moment, isn't it? You have to say. Yeah, amazing. Um any listeners to the betting show, I, I owe you an apology now because this was obviously my big thing was this was going to be a basketball game and end high scoring and it was 1-0. But as you mentioned, I think um, a certain Louis Don Jones keeper scuppered has... Yeah, because I think if one of those early goals goes in, it's a different game. But it wasn't to be. Um, you know, Will Grigg uh, had four pretty good opportunities to score and, and managed to be thwarted in each. Um, but yeah, I mean, MK Dons, it just I find it really weird how... When you look at the League One table, there are teams who I just feel have been poor for large swathes of the season. Ipswich being one of them, Charlton being another, and MK Dons just have like fewer points than them. I don't. I, I, it just feels to me like MK have been so impressive so often this season. I always anticipate that they're going to be higher and higher up the table than they are. Um, but they've hit. You I, mean, know, I think they were only a point above the relegation zone about two, I know. about three months I know. ago. I know, um, but I, I guess because a the betting markets rank, rate them very highly. So they've always been a short price against basically anyone this season since about December, November time. Um, coupled with a couple of big wins. Remember the one at the Stadium of Light, of course, back in November. Um, they just, yeah. And, and the fact that I rate what Russell Martin's doing so highly. They're, they're a team who, <clears throat> looking ahead to next season, right now, I would have them as, as bang amongst the favourites to, to win the league next year. Um, because not only, as you say, are they playing great stuff, but the players they're bringing in in January suggests that their summer business is going to be pretty lively. Like you've got Jules and Darling who've come in and have both been absolutely superb. Darling, I think, is the one who's really uh, the darling of MK Dons fans uh, at the moment. Um, you've got McEachern who came in who we knew a lot about, but O'Reilly as well. Like What an inspired pickup that was too. So it feels like everything about MK Dons is just trending in the right direction. The The... The style of football hasn't changed, but the results have come as the season's gone on. This recruitment seems to be absolutely bang on. The players buying into what Russell Martin's doing too. Um, you know, it looks, unless they go on a proper mad one where they do go and win 
their next five or six games and put themselves in a position to get into the playoffs. I don't think it's going to happen this time around. Um, but I have a feeling a lot of young players looking at the EFL for next season in terms of a loan or in terms of, of moving on to get first team football. I think Russell Martin's phone is going to be busier than most people's because it's a hell of a place to be at the moment. Donny are only going one way, sadly, and that's down because not not relegation, just down in the league table. Um, they're in really, really poor nick. They can't have any complaints about the result here. You know, even if it had been two or three, I don't think they would have been able to have any complaints. And, you know, there are plenty of mitigating circumstances. I think they've they've suffered through injuries, of course. Their manager left them in the lurch uh, about a month ago and, and the caretaker, Andy Butler, stepped in. It's worth remembering that in the five games before Darren Moore left, they only picked up one point a draw and four defeats. They then won Butler's first two against Portsmouth and Argyle, both of them 2-1, both of them good, you know, good wins, but certainly not incredible performances. And then since then, five more games uh, and only two points and, and three defeats in there. So, you know, only going one way. He's obviously been questioning the the application of a few of his players. I find it interesting, you know, the, the one thing I would say that Butler has done and, and on the basis of the weekend anyway, looks to have been a great decision is Ellery Balkum, the keeper on loan from, from Brentford, uh, England Youth International, who we were looking forward to seeing playing in the EFL and had a really lively first few games where he made some amazing saves for Donny, but he also had some very, very hairy moments and made some errors. And Butler's, you know, first act basically when he, took caretaker charge was to drop Balkum and bring in Louis Jones who's young goalkeeper part of the setup at Doncaster but's basically never been trusted to play um and he's certainly well he's been very busy but he certainly made some good saves George a Friday night Oxford beat Lincoln 2-1 yeah don't want to be that guy but it was a good time to play Lincoln um having said that a lot of monkeys off the back of uh of Oxford specifically when it comes to beating teams above them I guess yeah back-to-back wins at home although two wins against teams who you are right. It was a good time. It was a good time to play Donny. It was a good time to play Lincoln as well. Um, my dad sent me a text at halftime during the Oxford game saying, isn't it great to have James Henry back? And that reading deeper into my dad's messages, which you often have to do to, to get the true meaning, even though he was back from injury, I think what he meant was just his form was back too, because he's been very disappointing this season, but he was absolute class on the day. <clears throat> Probably I would say that the best player on the pitch whilst he was on, um, creating the second goal with a great bit of pressing, which you don't normally associate with him, even though he is, um, you know, he's somebody who works very hard. He's not the most uh, mobile, but he he pressed well and then put a beautiful delivery in for Mark Sykes, whose header was parried into the path of of Matt Taylor. Um, yeah, it was, and it was a good performance after what was a, a really desperate and drab display in midweek against the Cobblers side, who did very little to frank the form on the weekend. Um, but I think Lincoln are probably the the story here because even though that, that win does of course give Oxford still, still puts them right in the mix for a playoff place, uh, especially with, with Doncaster dropping out. And, and I think it would take a pretty brave man to predict that Doncaster are going to end up in the playoff places now, uh, a pretty similar campaign for them as they, as last season uh, when they dropped out just before the season was curtailed at about this stage and, and were unable to to get back into it. Um, Lincoln, you have to really fear for because, you know, if those, you know, it was a COVID situation that led to Callum Morton being out, um, which you think is a couple of weeks. Brennan Johnson out as well. Um, George Grant's been out for a while. Tom Hopper out too. Liam Bridcut went off injured. They had four outfield players on the substitutes bench. 
um their form has dipped i mean they still at times look pretty lively going forward i mean morgan rogers is obviously a very very good ball carrier and a, and a very good player he created the first goal scully has shown this season that he is somebody um who he's one of those kind of funny footballers where you're not entirely sure what he does except for just run a lot and score incredibly scrappy goals but <laughs> but both of those things have have some serious value you know you, you spoke about Aidan O'Brien at Sunderland I think they're quite similar players in terms of what they bring um but Scully's probably been more prolific this season than, than O'Brien has been in the past um but it just it just feels to me like it's been a hell of an effort from Lincoln to get where they have done so far this season. I think if they'd kept all of their players fit, they would have had every chance of getting an automatic place. But given what's going on around them, it feels like firefighting at the moment for Michael Appleton. And it wouldn't surprise me at all to see them drop out of the top six altogether. They're in that weird vortex where seven points now behind second in Peterborough. Still five points above the team just outside the playoffs, though. So, yeah, they, they have to gather themselves I think it's fair to say and that there isn't really time because there's games on Friday and Monday as well um they're playing MK Dons at home on Friday and given MK Dons's form you know you'd think they'd probably head into it favorite despite being about 10 places or eight places below them in the league table and then they play Charlton away we're still sort of getting to grips with what they look like under uh, Nigel Adkins right big 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 result at the bottom of the table because we had Ipswich drawing with Wigan, so Wigan getting a point. Um, we had Rochdale not playing. We had, who else did we have? We had Bristol Rovers losing to Sunderland, but we, uh, Swindon didn't play. But Northampton Wimbledon was therefore the big six-pointer. There seems to be one every week at the moment at the bottom of League One. Terrible game, George Ellick, but great scenes at the end. Incredible. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, AFC Wimbledon score with two minutes to go through that man, Joe Piggott. Uh, Northampton go the other end and get a penalty which Sam Hoskins um, hits to Sanef the keeper's right who then makes a save and you know you're getting to the business end of the season when you have a well, it wasn't quite a pylon like the Cambridge pylon but you have mass celebrations at the, at the final whistle well straight after the penalty save uh, a massive massive save him to make <clears throat> huge result for, for AFC Wimbledon as well um, again, which just keeps them in touch and takes points off a team that they're trying to uh, to overtake as well. Um, it felt like a really, really, probably the significant result of the of the weekend in League One. This one um, puts them both on 36 points. Northampton and Essendon straddling the uh, the drop zone at the moment, and with Bristol Rovers really struggling for form, uh, Wigan <clears throat> also coming up uh, with a nil nil draw in the weekend too. Um, this feels significant for Wimbledon, who still have two games in hand on, on Cobblers as well. So, um, yeah, no question who the hero was here. And they've earned that win, certainly. Uh, they, they had drawn five of their previous six. Their defeat, a 1-0 defeat to Burton. I think that game was the one that had like four shots total. Mark Robinson, since since going in, has tightened the margins of Wimbledon games to an absolutely insane level they're not being outplayed by any means but they're also certainly not outplaying teams it was only a matter of time you felt like a, a result was going to go their way and yet at the point where the penalty is given for what I have no idea uh, in the 97th minute of injury time with five having been put on the board you really felt like it was going to be yet another draw and, and uh, another sort of stumble, I suppose. But there we go. Northampton fans very unhappy with what was a, a very, very poor performance. And, and, you know, early in the season, 
getting good results against the teams around them was what was keeping them above the the, the relegation places, but not for much longer. The, the game that we haven't mentioned is Blackpool 2, Argyle 2. It's a really entertaining game. Uh, Argyle, as ever, you know, have moments where as a neutral, you are just delighted to watch the Green Army uh, and other moments specifically at the back where you are certainly do not enjoy watching them. But um, for Blackpool, I think with a few key men on international duty, this maybe wasn't so surprising, even though the form would have suggested a, a home win, I think. Um, probably not the worst point in the world. They've got the games in hand as well. Um, and once they get people back in fear, I still think Blackpool are going to have a big say uh, in the last 10 games or so of the season. George, before we move on to League Two, um, quick word on our sponsors, The Athletic, because I've been really delighted with the amount of EFL content, in-depth, athletic-style EFL content over the last few weeks, starting with some really good player profiles a few weeks ago, some interesting interviews, um, deep dives on like Huddersfield Town, among, among others. And there's still loads of stuff you know, at the start of this week that I think we've enjoyed reading and would certainly recommend uh, to the listeners. Yeah, I mean, I would read anything about Barnsley. Um, but my, <laughs> my, my favourite piece uh, was from... Paul Tenorio, who is, you know, the Athletica are an American-based company who initially, well, I mean, there is obviously a UK office, but initially American-based. And uh, he's an MLS writer based over there. So we haven't read much of his stuff, but he did a bit. Daryl DK and Dane Murphy, the Americans behind Barnsley's success. And I would definitely read it because Daryl DK is probably one of the most interesting stories anyway in the EFL at the moment. One of the funnest players to watch. And of course, the uh processes that go on behind the scenes at Barnsley um whilst they may not get what they might not get the same kind of uh airtime as as Brentford's um just as interesting in my opinion and I loved just in the, in the opening couple of paragraphs there's a story about Dane Murphy waiting for Daryl DK to make his debut um for the US national team and in just by doing so that cleared him to get a, a UK work permit and therefore he could go to bed happy knowing that he'd he'd sealed the signing of their lone striker till the end of the season just because he came on the pitch, which I you know, it's those it's those little bit little bits extra, little bits of extra information um that really set the athletic apart and I am I'm bang here for it. Some really good stuff elsewhere. Uh, a profile done by Philip Buckingham about Maheta Molango. Uh, the new PFA CEO, really important hire there and a really interesting um, profile. Josh Griffiths on loan from West Brom to Cheltenham with the England under 21. Steve Madeley's done a good profile on him. Then financial stuff, if that's what you're into. Big old piece today with Matt Slater and Ahmed Shubal about Bournemouth's £60.1 million loss uh, and their relationship with their owner. Um, it's pretty eye-watering stuff, I must say. Um, and... Uh, last but not least, a really good profile by Simon Hughes on Preston on how they work, on the, the, the role of Peter Risdale uh, and the owner, who I didn't know too much about, to be honest. A really good piece. So if any of those tickle your fancy and you're not a subscriber of The Athletic, we have got a banging code for you. 50% off. It might be the best around at the moment, you know. Just £2.50 a month, you'll get an annual subscription for theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. Give it a go. And if you're a championship fan and you're missing championship coverage, well, on this week's Zonal Marking podcast, which I host for The Athletic, me and Tom Warville will be taking a data magnifying glass to the championship and picking out a few nuggets from each team. Ooh. So each team will be profiled it's going to be a good fun episode, so make sure you listen to the Zonal Marking podcast this week. 
Right, time to dig deep, drill down into League Two as promised. Uh, we've got a special guest joining us for the League Two segment today, Paul Riley of Different Game Analytics. Paul, thank you so much for giving up some of your Monday to talk to us about the glorious fourth tier. <laughs> You're very welcome. I'm honoured to be in the presence of TV royalty that you two are these days. <laughs> oh, God. Disgraced royalty uh, in just a few months, I'm sure. Uh, look, Paul, the, the reason we wanted to talk to you is because for a while, or at least the last year, you've been doing some really interesting data analysis of League Two um, and running it through a Patreon page, which we are subscribers of, um, which is kind of something for everyone, I would say. There's a uh, an option for uh, fans who want the, the sort of top line stuff, but you're also doing this professionally as well, looking at teams and players. I guess first and foremost, it'd be great to get um, an idea of why you decided to go down this route, focusing specifically on just this one league, and I guess what the last year or so has been like since you set up. Yeah, well, it's been an odd year for everyone, really, hasn't it? But um, this came about, I was talking to a couple of clubs um, early last year before COVID came about, um, talking about doing some work for them specifically. And then COVID hit and obviously the clubs were kind of in meltdown, not knowing what the finances were going to be like, not knowing what budgets were coming up. Um, so it was... A case of for months on end going will i won't i be joining you to do something um to the point where it wasn't it just wasn't going to happen um so i just it just popped in my head one day no one else seems to be doing this providing an, an online platform that would be it'd be kind of cheaper to do it for multiple clubs rather than just going to work for one so it just popped into my head because other people in the, the sphere were doing patreon for kind of like fan and media content um so i just decided to give it a whack and yeah I've, league two it's quite niche in terms of analytics there's not there's a few people covering it per club there's i don't think there's that many people apart from yourselves covering it analytically or by the numbers um overall so i just thought why not give it a bash mm. well you're kind to say that i mean i think george and i we're just about able to to dip our toe in maybe get shin high in in data terms for league two but you are you're fully <laughs> submerged people's work yeah, yeah that's right we talk about your work we talk about others work but you are wetsuit on uh fully submerged so i mean it, I, that I mean, is not a pretty thought <laughs> i'm interested though in general because you know data analytics is, is something that fascinates us and of course we have, we have always applied it to the EFL but we're also aware that sometimes the very collection of data uh, the lower down you go can be tougher and, and potentially less precise so I, I guess I'm interested to know from from your perspective because you've got a background in in this kind of work is the data in League 2 less reliable than it would be at the top level either because of the quality of football itself or the quality of the the collection of it. Um, I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, the the data that I'm used to working with over the years, be it like Opta or or Statsbomb. I mean, those guys are highly professional. It's the same process for each game. Um, I guess the one thing that might make data collection harder is the kind is the video that they're collecting it from so the, the smaller the ground in league two the vantage point isn't so great so trying to plot what's happening where on the pitch is probably harder for the guys collecting the data but 
they've got fail safes, they've got the systems in place to make sure that it's okay. So I don't think so, to be honest. I just I was well, I was reading the question beforehand and wondering where you got that idea from. I think as you're speaking, I realise. I guess one of the things that's always been on my mind is, you know, we often look at XG ratio tables provided by Fox Punter, and I just I have always had the feeling that in League Two, it seems to matter less or in the ways that we think it matters or can help be predictive for performances uh, in the long term and results in the long term it feels like League 2 sometimes bucks the trend a little more than the others so I wasn't yeah. sure why that would be I guess uh, well that that is definitely the case okay good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're right on that score so I, it's, I don't think it's a data collection issue um and the quality of data issue. I think the, the league is just, there's more parity in the league um, between the teams. If you look at the if you look at expected goals for the Premier League, the differences between the top teams and the bottom teams, say, of, of what chances they're creating, it's, it's, it's huge. You might get 20, 30, 40 goals gap between top and bottom. That is not the case down, down the lower leagues. Um, Football is a low, low-scoring game. It's susceptible to more variance. Um, so yeah, I just, I just think nearly every game. I mean, I'm, I'm fairly new to League Two, to be honest. In the last couple of years, I've concentrated most of my work's been on on the Premier League. But League Two, I look at the fixtures every week um, that come out, and you think this game's a banger. I mean, and you think I'm trying to talk up League Two, but you're not. Are you, every single game could go either way mm. nearly every week and I think there's also you know players at that level they're only on short-term contracts no one's on three four five-year contracts um, it's players leaving clubs in droves in some instances and you know half the squad has to be um, has to be brought in in the window just just to make a team in, in some circumstances so the player turnover and the amount of players used is 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 different. Um, so it just makes there's more in the mix, I think, for for League Two. But that you, yeah, it, it's not as predictive as the top leagues. But I think, as you see, the, the work I've been doing. I mean, the top six teams are more or less the top top six teams on the numbers. Um, but it, it's just just it's just closer between the teams. Let's talk about those top six teams now. And thankfully, I think the listener will be happy to, to hear we're going to talk about the real league table rather than the XG ratio table. Um, but we'll, uh, top of the table at the moment after their win against Carlisle on the weekend uh, is Cambridge, who are top on 67 points, Cheltenham second on 65, Tranmere third on 63, just ahead of Bolton on goal difference, who are also on 63, Forest Green on 62, and then Morecambe on 62 as well, with Newport uh, five games back, but with the game in hand. So they're I guess they could maybe force their way back into that reckoning if their uh, improved form continues. We'll start at the very top with um, with Cambridge. And I should also mention in terms of PPG, um, you know, the team on top, Cambridge, have 1.76, sixth on, on 1.68 because of the, you know, the, the difference in terms of how many games played. So it really is unbelievably tight between those teams. Um, I'm kind of most interested... In this whole, I'm interested in everything you have to say, of course, but I, I'm most interested in what you've got to say about Cambridge because they have been 
an interesting team to track this season. They've always been in the top two or three. They're now back top of the table. In Paul Mullen, they've got a striker who who never showed himself to be capable of what he's doing so far this season in terms of <laughs> the goal scoring rate. The betting side of things that we look at in another podcast and something that I, you know, I used to work in that sphere and consistently every week, seemingly Cambridge are priced up um, as if they're a mid-table side. You know, only a few weeks ago, Barrow were favourites against Cambridge when Cambridge were top of the table and Barrow were were two places outside the relegation zone. Yeah. So looking at the data, can you kind of unpack how Cambridge have ended up where they are and and can we expect them to fall away or are they in in a fair position? The short answer is no, I can't unpack that because I'm as stumped as you are. <laughs> does Wes um, hand just break all data points and that's just the way that we, that's what we've got, we've got to accept? Not, I'm not, I like Houlihan, I'm not a huge Houlihan fanboy, but a day, Cambridge. So yes, on my models and as you probably, as you said on the betting models, they probably look like a decent-ish top 10 side. Um, on the numbers the only thing that they have been doing that comes up on the numbers better than most teams is turning their own shots into shots on target and when the opposition um, shoots they're not shooting on target as much Um, I haven't particularly watched enough of them this season to, to know whether that's a thing I highly doubt it I think they well, they've basically got match winners, haven't they? Mm. Um, they're massively based down that right-hand side um, with Noyle and Houlihan um, providing the ammunition. And as you say, Mullin is, you know, Mullin's more of a <laughs> of a of a model breaker than Houlihan, yeah. to be honest. Um, and as you say, it's it's kind of come from nowhere. But I watch them play. When I do watch them play, do I think they're a great team? Not really. Do you guys think they're a great team when you watch them? I think they have moments of yeah. real quality because of Houlihan. There was, I don't know if you saw it, but against Carlisle, there was um, a, a Mullen chance that he hit straight at the keeper, which was, it was Houlihan playing two one-twos with Hiram Boteng and then playing two one-twos <laughs> with, uh, with Mullen before Mullen got the shot off. And I don't think many teams could do that. But then, as you say, game by game over 90 minutes, definitely not. I mean, I, I, it's taken me until basically last weekend when I tipped up Cambridge to beat Carlisle in part because of Carlisle to say, right, okay, I'm happy to to take on the market here. <laughs> um, it, it's it's just nuts. And I've, I've got a friend, my friend Simon is a Cambridge supporter. He's been on at me all season because I've, I've been kind of doing them down a bit on, <laughs> on the Patreon site and he's going, did you watch us this week? Did you watch us this week? Do you think we're going to make it? Do you think we're going to make it? And every week I've said, no, I don't think you're going to make it. And this week I think they're probably going to make it. <laughs> because, <laughs> you know, they, I think one thing they've got in their favour is the other teams around them have got injuries at the moment, but yeah. their main guys aren't. Um, you know, you've got you've got the supply line still coming. You've got Mullin. I was looking at the data before. 140 shots that he's taken this season, which is nuts. You, that's the kind of rate that you, if we're looking in like elite terms, that's like Ronaldo Messi rates. And Suarez <laughs> when he was going nuts at, at Liverpool. Um, so yeah, I mean he's he's like taking 40 more shots than everybody else in the league. So the next one is just like uh, just about breaking 100 shots. 
Has Mullen um, has Mullen had a real overperformance of his expected goals numbers, and and how does that compare to other strikers? Because if everything is so tight and these games are on the margins, having someone like Mullen overperforming his numbers, I guess must have added what eight points, ten points at, potentially to those tight games. Which you know, as you say, if their base level could easily be an eighth, ninth, tenth base team, uh, and he's the mm. one that's got them as the top team as we stand. I was, again, when I was preparing for this, because I'd, I'd looked at it earlier in the season and he was, you know, fairly overperforming his expected goals numbers, but he's he's not massively overperforming his numbers. He is getting in the positions. Um, so I think it's maybe a handful of goals where I think at one point he was probably doubling what he should have got, but it's not the case. As I say, he's, he's got 140 shots at goal. You have that many shots, you're going to score goals. Um, so it's not a huge overperformance, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a couple of other players that you know are chipping in. I think Mitoff in goal has been fairly solid all year, and a couple of old schoolers like Hannon yeah. been chipping in as well. So, I mean, yes, the numbers think they're lucky. I think they're lucky, but at the end of the day, the players are on the pitch and they've got to do what, what they've got to do, and, they, and they've done it. Mullen also has a finishing style quite akin to mine in in five aside, where it's just get your head down and smack it as hard as you can and make sure it goes on target. And it, and some some uh, some league two keepers um, probably not as adept at just saving shots on target as as those towards the the top end of the pyramid. Um, we, we we better move on from Cambridge, or at least in my five aside league as well. Uh, we better move on from Cambridge um, to the other teams in the top six. But before we do so, because they you know they played against aside in Carlisle, who are one of the other most interesting cases data-wise in League Two. Beach ball was getting all the plaudits. It looked to stack up in the data, to my eye. Um, at least, I think even before the the form turned, they were one of the early outliers where you could see that a run was probably coming. The postponements around COVID and weather suddenly meant that they had to fit in a half a season into about three months. But I think the drop-off and the rate of it, this has been a hell of a collapse is there any kind of rhyme or reason to it? And are they as bad as the current form suggests? Um, beach ball is a really good term, actually, because the ball flies in the air a lot, doesn't it? When, <laughs> when Carlisle comes to town. Um, I was expecting them to come down. In terms of their numbers, they've been pretty good in terms of getting shots on goal, but they're all shots from miles away. Um, they're heavily reliant on set pieces um, to score goals, especially early on. Um, and they were massively overperforming on on my model um, for the first half of the year. Um, did I expect them to crash this heavily? No, um, because they're quite a physical. Well, they're not quite a physical team. They're a very very physical team. They're not the kind of team that you would think that people wouldn't enjoy playing against them. Mm-hmm. But they've suddenly become a soft touch, and and the run is is ridiculous now. So no, I didn't see it coming to this extent. Um, Josh Coyote's not been playing recently. He's a big miss. Um, so yeah, I don't, they are probably a top half team again. They weren't as good as they appeared to be, but they're also not as bad as they're appearing now. I don't think either. 
Well, so that's a nice on the fence answer for you. Well, there, it's going to be, and you know, we'll see if uh, if Chris Beach will be another victim of variance, where you know managers who seem to go on good early runs often pay the price because those expectation levels get raised so high, and it's no fault yeah. of their own. Um, I watched Bolton against Forest Green, or I should say Forest Green against Bolton on Saturday at midday. It was live on Sky. Um, and we can kind of tackle both of those at the same time because they played against each other. If you, if I'd watched that game blind, having never seen League Two before, and then you told me afterwards that Bolton had got 35 points from the last 39 possible, <laughs> I'd have been pretty surprised because it was a pretty dire game and Bolton offered very little apart from a moment of Owen Doyle um, doing what Owen Doyle does. And, and, you know, it was a lovely finish on the volley into the bottom left-hand corner. Um, did, <laughs> did you see this ridiculous saw... run coming? Uh not to this extent, no. Um, so Bolton is my hometown team. Ah, bias. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> but in a bad way, because I didn't support Bolton. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, so did I see it coming? No, but I, I wrote a piece on the Patreon um, a few weeks ago um, because they had turned a corner and I think Ever was attributing a lot of it to new signings coming in in January. But when I looked at the numbers, they, they were turning the corner like mid-December time in terms of their, their underlying numbers. They were absolutely awful early doors, um, conceding mm. lots of chances. The press wasn't working. Um, so I, I dug in a little bit deeper about their kind of their, uh, their build-up patterns and that kind of thing. And there wasn't, they're not really doing anything that different during this run that they were doing early on. I just think they get they got used to a new manager, new manager's ways, and they just started doing what they were doing better. Um, yes, the new signings help, of course. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a ridiculous run. And again, if you'd have asked me a few weeks ago, are Bolton going to do it? I'd have gone, no, 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 no. Same as I would with Cambridge. And now I think Bolton, yes, they are going to do it. <laughs> and, and it helps that they beat a Forest Green side who, you know, Mark Cooper, um, I think was hoping that his injury woes were going were gonna to ease in the next couple of weeks. Um, yeah, did, that did, didn't did happen. You, <laughs> did you see Jamil Matt's injury? I have seen it. It's not a very pleasant picture, I, is it? I genuinely... You know, it's been it's been a long time since I felt sick at midday on a Saturday, and um, and <laughs> hoping this summer changes that. But uh, certainly, I, yeah, it was absolutely disgusting. I mean, I, I really hope that Jamil Matt is okay um, because it looked like an injury that that could have significant impacts on, on him. So fingers crossed that after his time out, he is going to be okay. But on the football side of things, no, I, I've seen um, you often tweet out. Uh, kind of we've already spoken a, a bit about this with Mullen, but the individual um, XG numbers for strikers in, in League Two. And Matt has always projected very highly in terms of, of getting into position and the goals have started to come as well. I mean, how big a, a loss could he be for them uh, at this business end of the season? Well, pretty big, I think. Um, it's not just the goals. I mean, they're a football inside, but he plays quite as a target man, mm. uh, holding up, bringing everybody else in. They've, they've lost that. They've, they've lost the goals now. I mean, they've already lost a couple of big players in, in January uh, with Winchester going and um, in Kitchen going as well. Yeah. I, so if you look at their numbers, the last half a dozen weeks or so, their numbers have taken a bit of a paste in. So I think they kind of, they coped with the, the January losses quite well. But since then, 
it doesn't really look good. They're kind of trending in the opposite way to how Bolton are now. Um, and, you know, the weekend, Bolton, Bolton got the goal ahead and then just sat in. And Forest Green just didn't look like scoring in two. If they'd have played till next year, it didn't look like they were ever <laughs> yeah. going to score. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that the wheels don't fall off because, as you've said yourselves, they're a good, they're a good team. They try and play the right way. They do sensible things. They play lots of young players. Um, I'd really like to see them go up, but I'm kind of scared that the wheels have fallen off a little bit now. Because um, the numbers are kind of suggesting that. Difficult times maybe ahead then for Forest Green. Uh, before we go down to the bottom of the table, just quickly touch on Morecambe, who beat Cheltenham, the two other sides in this top six. I kind of, the, the Morecambe story reminds me a little bit of the Cheltenham story from last season, where, you know, you've got a Morecambe team who are, as ever, touted for, for relegation, with a manager who came through halfway through the season before, who is exceeding all expectations, who are continually being kind of written off in terms of being automatic promotion chances. Um, and that is effectively what Cheltenham were last season before being beaten in the playoffs. And then Cheltenham this season have, have become probably the, the solid bet to be there. I think everybody anticipated under Mike Duff, they are going to be a team who are very, very hard to beat, who are going to be fairly yeah. consistent in their performance levels. So, I mean, I've said so many times on the podcast, you know, people need to take Morecambe seriously. Morecambe are, are a genuine automatic promotion contender. Cheltenham are obviously that. How do we see them both going into these these last few games? Yeah, so Morecambe, I mean, both of these teams have been pretty steady all season on the numbers. They look good, looked good all season. I don't think Morecambe started that great, but as, as the season's gone on, they've just got stronger and stronger. They've... They've dealt with losing um, like the best creator in the league as well. With yeah. Phillips was, I mean, I think he's still top in my model for creators in 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 the league, and he left two three months ago. Also known as the the league two Bruno Fernandez. <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, loves a dink over the top. Mm. Um, so yeah, I mean, you look, I look, they're one of my favourite teams to watch. I have to be honest, because they play with a fairly old school target man with with Stockton doing his thing up front. They had Adam Phillips. Mendes Gomez is probably one of my favourite players in the league. Mm. He's chipping in with goals and his assists. I mean, there's been the, the midfield halt in football boots in the middle that's come in recently. Tamani Diagaraga. Mm. Um, it's basically come from nowhere again to being a, a massive part of the team in the last uh, few months. Um, I really enjoy watching them play and I really hope they do well. Uh, Cheltenham are like the Mr. Consistency on the numbers this season. Um, they've been good defensively and in attack straight week in, week out since the beginning. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, a slightly slight concern, I suppose, about Cheltenham is their reliance on set pieces and throw-ins and that kind of thing. Um, I mean, apart from Alfie May, they, they look again. They're like a team of absolute giant units. <laughs> and then you've got Alfie May buzzing about up front for them, while Toes is la- la- launching long balls in um, from the throw-ins and balls getting on the end of stuff. Cheltenham look the best all-round equipped team to do it I just worry that they if if they don't do it and then they've got to go through the playoff route again do they have the match winners 
to do it if they if they go through that route. So I think if they're going to do it, they have to do it by being automatic promotion. Well, I mean, you're right to point out the match winners aspect to this. I've seen a few Cheltenham fans over the weekend after what was a obviously a disappointing loss. They always feel a bit more emotional at this stage of the season, don't they, when you lose yeah. to a team around you? And, the, and yeah. the, the narrative was very much, well, look at someone like Mullin, look at someone like Doyle and... Jay and Vaughan and our top scorer is Williams on eight uh, and then Alfie May has six and I, I was surprised that those two strikers numbers were quite so low to be honest because they do seem to be the sort of team that create a fair amount albeit a lot from set pieces but a fair amount from open play as well so I was surprised to see yeah. that um let's look at the bottom of the table because it's, it's it's getting pretty spicy down there and we didn't we didn't <laughs> it is. we didn't think that was going to be the case um because of the start that South End made specifically because of the middle that Grimsby had specifically, they left themselves with so much to do, but both of them kind of making a decent fist of it. Uh, Grimsby haven't lost in their last six, albeit five draws and the one win. And Southend, they've only lost one of their last six with four draws and one win, which was on the weekend against Harrogate. I suppose George and I, one of our classic tropes uh, on this podcast is when we see a team <laughs> that is drawing a lot of games, is trying to work out are those draws more likely to turn into wins or turn into defeats? And I suppose that's the key question for both of these teams at the moment, because if one of them or both of them can turn the draws into, you know, an extra win or, or three, then things can get quite lively. Um, what do you think is more likely? I think probably not, unfortunately, <laughs> for these two teams. Um, like yourselves, I thought they were both dead and buried a long time ago. Um I mean, especially South End. Um, they put a string of results together um, in the middle that kind of totally defied the numbers. I mean, they've pretty much been awful on the numbers all season on, on what I've got. And I keep, you know, on a Saturday afternoon or whenever, and I'm looking at, at the, the latest scores and it comes through and, and they've somehow um, sneaked a result from somewhere. And you look at the numbers and go, where on earth did that come from? <laughs> Um, and Grimsby, they started off extremely badly, especially defensively, uh, with Holloway in charge, and then he's gone. They've improved defensively on the numbers with the new manager in. However, they're still pretty bad. Uh, attack's not improved much. They lost, say, Burnham last year, who was important for them. If they are going to get out, Grimsby, you're looking around and say, who's going to get the goals for them? Who's going to create what they need? Um, I'm slightly more up on South End because they have a few players that are underperforming in terms of in front of goal. Um, Aqua, Akinola, Dieng, Nathaniel, George. I mean, they're all they're all blowing it. I mean, they're getting chances, but they're just not sticking them away. But at least they are getting the chances. So. If I had to pick one that was going to get out, I'd say probably South End, which perhaps goes, I think, from what George has said in recent weeks, he fancies Grimsby might get out. So mm. I'm going to disagree with him on that. And we'll see who wins <laughs> in a few weeks. <laughs> you've, you've got a bit of a head start, though, so that's a bit unfair. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the situation for context is Grimsby on 32 from 37, South End 35, so three points more, but have played a game more. Uh, and now we're going to work out if Southend or Grimsby can make, you know, can continue, well, to 
can turn some draws into wins. Who is most at risk is the question here, Paul. You've got Barrow three points above Southend, um, but with two games in hand over them. Cole Yu have also played 38, the same as Southend, two more than Barrow. And they're on 39, one point above Barrow. And then two points above them is Walsall, who have played 37 points. So, you know, there's there's different numbers of points, different numbers of games played. <laughs> um, who is most at risk in your eyes? Um, honestly, none of them. But if I had to pick one, probably, well, I'm going to pick Colchester. It's pretty clear on the numbers. If I was looking at my models, they'd say Colchester are by far a worse team than Barrow or Walsall. Um, what about compared to Grimsby and um, and Southend? Defensively, they're every bit as terrible as, as those teams. I think Colchester have got more going forward. I can see people, Frank Nubel's back, mm. um, Giovanni Brown can stick it in. Um They've got some good creative talent in midfield. Um, I mean, even I mean, Poku again has not really been that much in favour, but they've got him. They've got another youngster, um, Sarpong. Um, that's good. I just I think they've probably got enough firepower to see them out. Um, Walsall, you know. I look at follow quite a few Walsall fans on Twitter, and they are they are not happy bunnies right now, are they? <laughs> no. Um, well, it's it's, it's what I said. It's it gets so concerning when your team starts to slide down the table at this stage of the season, and that's very much the case with them. I mean, I I, I think the performance data has also tanked, uh, but we're not yeah. too worried. I mean, it is it's that classic case, isn't it, where if they were to get one or two wins in their next you know, four yeah. or five games, then realistically, the points gap would, would remain the same and yeah. they'd be safe. I mean, this is kind of... We're at the stage of the season now where, to some extent, you can chuck the models a little bit in the bin because the points gap is enough that if they do get those one or two wins, the teams below them are going to have to win four or five out of the last six, seven, eight games. And you just can't see where that's coming from. Um but yeah, I mean, Walsall have tanked, especially in attack. Again, they sold their main forward in January time, not replaced him. Um, Holden, who's their main creative outlet, has been out since before Christmas. They've lost players. I mean, the fans can moan about the manager and perhaps the owners all they want. But when that, that kind of, they're your main players in your team and they're not available, what are you going to do? I mean, you can try and switch formation tactics week in week out to try and something that that fits I, th I think the only main criticism i would level at the manager is perhaps that wes mcdonald isn't playing as much as i think he probably should because he's their other main threat for me and he's been kind of in and out under dutton um but again i think Walsall have got players like like him and a few others that can chip in with a goal here and there i just don't see the, the bottom two getting out I, I know that's boring for the past no but, no uh, do you know what the, the funny thing is is that you know y you're able to look at things fairly uh dispassionately from our perspective and from you know from narrative lovers perspective you you want an exciting you, you know you do want to big up the fact that these two teams are, are going to be improving and putting the pressure on it's all part of the 
the story of enjoying following the leagues, I think. That doesn't mean for a moment I don't think there's value in you coming on and, and pouring a little <laughs> bit of cold water on it. I think that's no, that's it, exactly it what, we, that's, that's what we wanted. It is exciting because, you know, one or two results and... As we've discussed before, you know, these models don't work half as well as they do for the Premier League and everything else as they do down there. I mean, the models are more likely to get bucked. The trends aren't likely to be as followed as they are further on up the thing. And this is what's so exciting about this league. And I had a a mate the other day taking the mick out of me saying about fixtures being bangers, like I said the other day. But literally all these games are coin tosses, especially at this stage of the season. You've got the fact that the schedule's been so tight. The players are playing every three or four days. It's just utterly relentless and, you know, anything can happen. And I, I, I'm pouring cold water on it, but I hope I'm wrong. I don't very often say that, so you really need to make sure that this makes the cut because I hate being wrong. But definitely, I, I do hope I'm wrong because the the playoffs and the automatic promotion spots, it's all brilliant. It's so tight. And the bottom has the potential to be tight if a couple of results go the right way in the next week or so. And then we have got a battle on our hands again. And on Friday, we've got Cambridge against Morecambe and Cheltenham against Tranmere as well at the top. So, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. I think they're all bangers. Um, lastly, just down at the bottom, I do want to ask about Barrow because I think I'm right in saying that they've been a pretty fascinating data team this season to follow. That Their numbers have yeah. always looked fairly good compared to their league position i having you know being an avid follower of yours and reading all of the patreon stuff you know you had dug a little deeper and found some some fairly large issues which might have explained some of it though yeah so early on with i mean david dunn how many games did he get it wasn't many (laughs) uh 17 i think okay so it's a few more than i thought but they were you know, they looked like a top six team with him in charge on the numbers. They wow. were playing nice football, but literally every, every week when you watch the goals back, someone in defence or the goalkeeper is dropping a clanger. You know, they're trying to play the right way. They're trying to play out the back. They're making silly passes across the back four that get intercepted. And nearly every goal they score was like a, against them was like a one-on-one. And they just weren't cutting the mistakes out. And he paid the price with his job, didn't he? So... Um, I thought that was quite harsh, especially if you look at where the clubs come from and what they're trying to do. I just think they're acting a bit, they were acting a bit too fast. And then Jolly comes in. Pre, they weren't a top six team under him. They were probably a top 10 team under him. Um, again, results really weren't going their way. And now Rob Kelly's in. The numbers say they're getting worse and worse and worse. And he starts winning and winning and winning. <laughs> Until, I mean, they have lost the last two, which kind of fits with the numbers because they were they were fairly poor on the numbers the last couple of weeks. But, but yeah, he pulled four wins in a row, I think it was, out of the bag. And the numbers were looking like, mm, you've been really quite lucky here. So, again, the topsy-turvy nature of the league... Um, yeah, I think they've got a couple, they've got, you know, I think they've been quite lucky in terms of, I mean, they've won a lot of penalties this season. Quigley keeps tucking them away and getting the results. Um, I don't know, is the honest answer about Barrow. 
Um, I think they're probably a worse team now than they were before. Um, but have they just about done enough points-wise? Probably. Do they have a couple of players that could win them a game? Probably. Mm. I th- I, yeah, I, I think we've, we have felt quite positively about them in general. Just, you know, a, a, a club of their history and I suppose of their wage budget, we've just always assumed that safety would be the number one objective and would be a job well done. So the way of potentially getting there, assuming they do, has been pretty topsy-turvy. But I, I would like to see Barrow in League Two next season for sure and, and see yeah, yeah. If, if things calm down a little bit. Um, right, so... Can I just... One thing I want to say, it's, it's quite interesting because I, one thing I get asked quite a lot by people within clubs about whether you can play football out of this league or whether you have to mix it. Um, and I think increasingly you are able to play football out of this league, um, which is why, again, I hope Forest Green Rovers <laughs> do make the thing. But, you know, Bolton have tried to play football. I mean, they're, they're looking a bit more defensive than they were at the start, a bit more solid, but they do try and play. Barrow have tried to play. There's lots of teams now that are trying to play. Mm. Um, well, I mean, most of the, pretty much all the teams that went up last season, certainly the top three were... We're all good footballing teams. I guess yep. uh, pitches obviously gets gets um, gets mentioned in, in that debate as well. And this season, because of the schedule and the weather, we have seen some pretty horrendous deterioration. Yeah, the last few weeks have been really cutting on. Mm. Mm. Now, um, we don't want to... We don't really want you to give away all your secrets because what we do want to do is push the listeners towards um, the Patreon, which can be found in, in many different ways. I think, firstly, to say that you can follow Paul on Twitter at Football Fact Man, all one word. Search for Paul Riley, of course, on Twitter as well. Patreon.com forward slash different game analytics will take you to the, the Patreon page. So if your team hasn't been mentioned, and of course there are a handful that we haven't been able to cover, then we're going to push you in the direction of, of bombarding Paul with questions through <laughs> social media, which I'm sure he'll, he'll thank us for. The one thing we really did want to get from you, because I know that, you know, as you say, you're working with clubs, as you've said as well, with, with player turnover, you know, a good summer of recruitment can make all the difference for these clubs. And so you are doing a lot of player scouting um, as well. If we yeah. can be cheeky, I asked you to put together a, a, a different game analytics six aside team. And not I, I kept it fairly loose for you because I know that you don't always want to pick the best players necessarily. There might be players no. that, that you just think are interesting in, in whatever way, a lot of potential, whatever it might be. So could you run us through your six aside team? Yeah, so I, you didn't you did keep it open for me, but I'll put my own kind of remit on it because <laughs> I put my own filters on. Um, basically, the scouting service that I do is mainly looking for younger players. I mean, if the clubs want me to look at other players, then I will do so for them, and we keep that separate off the Patreon. But in the main, I'm looking for young players, so I basically try to pick anyone that's under 23. Um, so in goal, you talked about Jamie Cumming the other day on TV. He is the best shot stopper in the league at the minute on my model, Ooh, but nice. I'm not going to pick him, lads. Oh. <laughs> so because you mentioned him, I've, I've switched over. Interesting one to watch is Jokul Andresen at Exeter. He's 19. He's on loan from Reading. He is an absolute huge unit of a young goalkeeper. 
Um, he looks like he could hold a wrecking ball in one hand. I think his um, I think his dad is a is a world he's a strongest strong man. man. There you yeah. go. Wow. Yes, um, and his brother plays as well. Nice. Um, he, I really like his goal. I'm quite specific because I was a goalkeeper back in my time, mostly. Um, when I played, I'm quite specific on the techniques and stuff, and I really like his setup. He stands up nice and upright. Um, he makes himself huge, um, and he is an absolute star. If you go on the club's social media when he's interviewed, he is an absolute bundle of energy, and I really, really hope he makes it. Crucial for a sex aside team as well. As you need, it is. I mean, you, you want lads. someone huge and someone who, if they shout, then you listen and everyone's Correct. scared of it. <laughs> um, so to kind of even that out a little bit, defensively for fullback, I've gone for um, Godwin Malief. Um, Forest Green, 20 years old. For me, he's probably one of the few fullbacks that can both attack and defend. Um, he can defend to the extent that he's fairly comfortable going into centre half as well, um, and will be used there. Very good on the ball, which you need for a six-a-side team. So, although he's not the kind of hulking defender that I like, I think he'd be fairly useful in a six-a-side team. Um, uh, but you know, some of these might be boring because people have heard them before, but. I'm still going with him because he really is a standout on the numbers and he's good when you watch as well. Centre-half was the biggest problem for me to pick <laughs> someone here. There aren't, um, very, there aren't that many under-23 centre-halves playing no, in League 2, so, are there? So I would have... There aren't. So I, who I wanted to pick was Liam Kitchen, but he's gone. He's not even in the league anymore. Um, classic, Barnsley, have, classic Barnsley signing that. Yes, mm. um, and we know those guys are in into analytics. Um, I've gone, you know, like in the Olympics when you're allowed to pick one overage player. <laughs> yeah. So I let myself off, and I've picked Aaron Hayden. Nice. Old school defender. Again, something I think you need in five aside. So we've got a defender who can play, but I also want an absolute grok in there who will smack the ball away if it's going to need to be smacked away. Excellent one-on-one, -on -one, good pace, really strong. So I've gone for Aaron Hayden at Carlisle. And he, he only turned 24 in, in Jan, so... Yeah, yeah. Sorry, if we, if we, if we he, take it beginning of the year, then that's 23. Yeah, OK. And he, he, he plays like he's 34 rather than 24. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, in midfield, I've gone for Elliot Watt. Nice. Yes, I am a massive fan. <laughs> yes, so... I was speaking to a guy at another club, uh, just in texting him back and forth on Twitter. We talk about various players, and he said to me, have you looked at Elliot Watt yet? And I said, no, but he's literally just about coming into my view on the numbers now. Yeah. And so I watched him for the first time um, earlier on in the season, and I was in love within about 10 minutes of watching yeah. this fella. I had exactly the same experience. Uh, he's... Um, his ping and his passing ability and his range is just. Yeah, we set ourselves level. the target of uh, finding a replacement for Ben Whiteman at Donny, didn't we, George? Uh, from yeah. from from the league below to sort of you know match the fact that Whiteman himself was moving up one division and he was we couldn't we couldn't get past him. No, he's he looks like a veteran and he's twenty one years old. He's a rarity in that he can. I think he's pretty solidly defensively. 
Um, people running off him, he can press, he can play the ball easy, he can go vertical with his passing. I just really like him. Um, it's a big right, yes, who's, who's going to score the goals, though? Because we've got passers, we've got defenders, we've got athletes, we need goals. You, you're, getting, you're getting a gist of the kind of football that I like to watch and why I've found that I like League 2 so much. Because when I'm playing five-a-side, there's no messing about. It's all about being hard as you can and nailing the opposition before you start playing. So My nightmare, that. <laughs> yeah. So my players, my ballers, if you like, Joel Randall. Nice. 21, Exeter City. This, I'll look at him, and when I look at him, he just reminds me of the League Two version of Jack Grealish, right down to the socks around his ankles. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, he's got the control, the flicks, he can shoot, he dribbles, he's got good patience and makes good decisions with his passing. And again, uh, the thing I like about all these that I've picked is that they're young, but they play like they're not young. They look like they've been around forever. Um, so Joel Randall brings the creativity and uh, and the football ability. Yeah. And lastly, this again centre forward. I've not picked an out and out centre forward. It was a big toss up between Josh Coyote and uh, Carlos Mendes Gomez. And I've gone for Mendes Gomez because although he kind of starts out left, he continually drifts into the middle of the pitch. Um, scored lots of goals. He can strike the ball. And if we're looking at Joel Randall looking like Jack Grealish, then Mendes is my Tino Espria <laughs> like from, from the 90s. Um, Amazing. And uh, yeah, just his body movements, like kind of, he looks lazy and languid but he's not he's quick um he digs in defensively there's i scouted him the other day and there was an instance where he he was the last man he was basically near the corner flag in his own in his own box and ended up on the end of a move and keeper pulled out a great save he's that kind of player he's a wide player that gets involved doesn't go missing offers himself out um he's got a few sort of um poacher type goals in the last few weeks as well and when Phillips was playing that ball over the top to to, to Gomez running in behind was always the one wasn't it so you know yeah. he's not not just a tricky winger that's for sure um well brilliant Can I, I'm going to give you a few more that yes didn't make it please do right. these are I should say the sorts of players you can read about on the different game yeah. analytics patreon page <laughs> so Josh Coyote as I've mentioned um Absolute, he's absolute unit as well, but wiry and strong with it. Um, someone you wouldn't mess with. He's 20 years old. He's got the longest throw you've ever seen on him. Yeah. Probably not so much use in six aside, which is why I didn't end then took going for him. <laughs> Knows where the goal is. Really surprised that Rotherham let him go on loan. Wouldn't be surprised to see him um, go back there or move on um, pretty shortly. But he's he's injured at the minute, so... People aren't going to be able to go and see him play uh, for the rest of the season. We could have made this whole section. I'm sorry to go on, but I'm excited when I'm talking about the players. We could have made the whole section really about Exeter. Yeah. If they're young players and the players they've got. Let me me interject with a stat that I was going to use on the pod anyway. Experimental 361, Ben Mayhew, whose stuff we like a lot. 
Uh, yeah. He's been looking at, at um, minutes and ages and says there are five clubs across the Premier League and EFL who have given at least 30% of their league minutes to a player aged 21 or under so far this season. Number one is Exeter City with 37.8% of all their league minutes going to players 21 and under. I think they had six academy players on the pitch at one point on the weekend when beating Salford. Yeah. Um, so Archie Collins nearly... So Elliot Watt just about beat Archie Collins mm -hmm. into the centre midfield spot. I really like him. Um, if you're looking at fullbacks, then you could I could have easily gone for Josh Key or Jack Sparks. Uh, Key's really good going forward. Times his runs really well. Um, he's okay defensively as well. Um, Alfie Bates, 19 at Walsall. Mm. Probably was better last season. He's fallen off a bit this season, but the team's not playing well. Um, and I think he would be really good with someone better in the middle with him or a structural change around him so he could play. And one who I haven't really seen much of yet, but is starting to look, jump out to me on the spreadsheet saying, watch me, watch me, is um, Alfie McCalmont. Yes. Um, I think he scored a goal this week goals. against Oldham. Yeah. yeah, so he scored this weekend for Oldham. He's only 20. Um, so, yeah, so there's about... Nearly a dozen players of 22 or younger for people to have a look at. That is definitely in the interests of the listeners, in, in our interests as well. Paul, th thank you so much for giving up not only your time, but uh, opening up the doors of the uh, different game <laughs> analytics Patreon and giving us a bit of insight. Obviously, I'm I'm seeing all of this every time you, you post something. Um, but just, just remind us where we can find you, where we can uh, subscribe to the Patreon uh, any further details you'd like to make sure we get out there before we let you go? It's just as you said, really. Um, just Google Paul Riley Patreon and it'll be the first thing you come across. Um, as you said, I do have the worst Twitter handle known to man because <laughs> I, it's nearly 10 years old now and I never thought that I'd be in this position and that people would actually be following. <laughs> um, so the Twitter handle is at Football Fact Man, which I get loads of pelters for whenever I get something wrong on Twitter and that's the first thing anyone uh, <laughs> pulls me up on. So, yeah, so Twitter is probably the best place. And if you want to subscribe to the Patreon, there's only a couple of months left. Uh, it's fairly cheap. It's a pound a month if you're a fan. Um, so, yeah. Well, we've got plenty of people who listen to the pod, most of them who stay quiet, but some who put their heads above the parapet who work within clubs as well. So I've no doubt there'll be um, plenty of that sort of person heading towards the Patreon as well, because there is a, a sort of professional side to it as well, right? Yes, that's right. Um, I've got a handful of clubs at the minute, um, all from different leagues as well. I was quite surprised by the leagues that have shown interest in it. Um, there's plenty of people that within clubs have, right from directors of football down to fans who just subscribe to the fan page as well. So, so there's a fair few people that do subscribe from football, but the more the merry that they say. Absolutely. Well, it is a glorious and maddening league to cover in equal measure. Some huge fixtures across Easter weekend. And we wanted to make sure that, that we did it justice uh, this week with no championship as well. And we felt like uh, adding a new voice with a, maybe a little more expertise than George and I was, uh, was the way to do it. So thank you very much for your time. And uh, of course, listener, head to all of Paul's pages and, and get following. We'll make sure that we tweet the link to his Patreon on our page as well. But that's it from us this week. It's been an absolute pleasure and a joy to talk all things League One, League Two with you. 
absolutely monstrous week ahead uh, across the EFL. Friday and Monday fixtures, of course, a full slate in both leagues. George and I are going to be covering this in depth on the Totally Football League show Extra Time on Thursday. So do make sure you're subscribed to that feed. We're going to look at some of the key fixtures, what they will mean at the top and bottom of all three tables. But otherwise, enjoy the sunshine, enjoy the week and go well. We'll speak soon.